0: If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayReynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Some months ago when I sat down with the elders to discuss topics for this year uh, one of the expressions we talked about was thinking about worship and so this morning I want to introduce to you some thoughts that I hope will help us as we focus on worship but I will tell you right off the bat that it is intended that we take this for a few more weeks so uh, I will end at the appropriate time so we can eat and we'll pick up here next week together but as I sat down with Billy in my office uh, we talked about all the principles of worship and things that we need to keep in mind. And uh, one of the things that we talked about was a, a wagon wheel spoke. You remember those, the wheel spokes, the wooden uh, spindles in the center and pretty neat. And I couldn't find one with four spokes, so I just made a tire. I did that, designed it. I can tell. Thank you, Brandon. It was I guess it looks okay. But we talked about this together and and talked about all the different aspects of worship. And we'll briefly deal with that this morning and then highlight it each week as we move forward. But different things about what we're doing while we're here. And each part of worship is meant to be done not only in accordance with the will of God, but done in the right kind of spirit. In John chapter 4, Jesus entertains a conversation with a woman at the well. You may remember the story Uh, She is there to get water in the middle of the day, which shows that she wasn't interested in anybody meeting her there. She wasn't interested in talking to anybody, and she wanted to get in and get out, right? And as she comes to the well to to get the water, Jesus entertains her for a moment. And the really neat thing about that, maybe we often overlook, is that he's willing to share a cup with this woman. To share a cup of water... With this woman, as she's drawing it out to put into her containers. Now, most of us, probably if we are going to drink after somebody, if we drink after them, they're probably somebody close to us. Uh, But this woman had a very checkered past. And Jesus is willing to commune with this woman. He's willing to drink from the same cup that this woman drinks from. And while they're sharing this very intimate moment, drinking together and standing and conversing, she's obviously feeling awkward. She asks questions, she interjects points, she almost kinds of pushes Jesus away a couple times in the story, but Jesus keeps drawing her in. And she's having this conversation about worship. And she's talking about the place where she worships, which is where the Samaritan worship. That's Mount Gerizim. They weren't going to Mount Zion. They weren't headed to the temple of David or of Solomon. They weren't interested in that. They wanted to meet where they had always gone, to this temple that they had constructed. And Jesus, like many other Jews, were raised to see that Samaritans were only half Jewish. The other half was pagan, Hellenistic. It was was awful, some of the things that that culture did. And so while this woman has tried to reconcile the somewhat Jewish background she might have, she has developed maybe a little bit of a bias regarding her particular religious persuasion. And as she challenges Jesus about meeting on this mountain, where the Jews meet in Jerusalem, he puts her real quickly in her place. He says, well, look, we know that salvation is of the Jews, okay? But he said there's a moment coming... When we will not worship on this mountain or that mountain, but we will worship in spirit and in truth. And by interjecting this thought, we see the context of where we just read in Acts chapter 2. This woman is realizing that worship, as she had known it her whole life, and worship as Jesus had known it for his whole earthly life, was about to end. When we begin to look at worship in the Old Testament, I want to take our minds back to Exodus 3. Now, I know worship starts in the garden. I understand that. I realize that throughout Genesis, we see examples of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob building altars in the wilderness, you know, building altars where they could come back. There's two things that they really had to have in the Old Testament. One was a well, because they needed to drink. They took that very seriously. Possession of a well was, man, that was pretty important. One of the reasons why this woman in Samaria says... We've got the Jacob's well here. This is pretty special. But as Jesus is introducing this new concept of changing from an Old Testament concept of worship to a New Testament, we have to get the context. Going back to Acts three, or, or pardon, me, uh, Exodus chapter three, Moses is on a mountain. Now Moses has left Egypt, he's left all of the joys that he had, he left all of the treasures, he basically was raised as royalty, and you can imagine being raised as a royal, being trained and educated in the school, and being given fine clothes, and being able to have no expense spared when it came to mealtime, right? He realizes that his background is he's an Israelite, and he flees. Now, yes, he, he kills a man, buries him in the sand. You know, that's a very tragic, terrible story. But as he leaves, he's, he's more worried about whether he's going to fit in one way or another. And he spends 40 years, 40 years tending sheep with his father-in-law and family. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 3 that there is this bush that begins to burn on the side of the mountain. What's really neat about this bush is it burns, is it's not fully consumed, right? If you've ever started a brush fire before, or if you've ever had a little fire pit in your backyard, that's one of the things I know my boys, they like to, we've always liked to just burn stuff, put it in a little burn pile. But I'll tell you, if you have a couple of sticks, or if you take one bush and you light that thing up, it's not going to take long before it's burned up, right? But this bush in Exodus 3, It is burning, but it's not consumed. And Moses, being just interested in this bush, begins to approach, and there is a statement that is made to Moses, where he tells Moses, you need to take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. You ever thought about why? Moses had to take his shoes off. You ever wondered the purpose of that? You know, in uh, Middle Eastern culture, especially as you move further to the East, it is a matter of respect when you enter a house that you take your shoes off. And when you take your shoes off, it it symbolizes a couple things. One is humility, right? You ever try to play a basketball game barefooted? You know? You ever, you ever, well, that's humbling. That's really humbling. It's hard to get any grip, right? It's also showing, as a matter of respect, not as I always thought when my mom said, take your shoes off. It meant that didn't want dirt on the carpet. It's one of the reasons why I never have and never will have white carpet, right? Because I track stuff in. I don't mean to, but I, I do. I track things in. And so I thought maybe that's a lot like what's being spoken of here. Maybe as a matter of respect, uh, the shoes are taken off, but that's not the purpose of the shoes being removed. The sandals are removed from Moses so that he might be able to take a knee and humble himself in the presence of God. That he might take away anything that would encumber him to get up and leave quickly. He might be inclined in this experience to run in the opposite direction, which you don't want to do in the hills without shoes. It's not good. I remember as a kid, sometimes I would take off running across the grass. I had no problem going without shoes. But we poured our own concrete slab in our driveway, and it was it hurt, buddy. It hurt when you ran across that. Moses is about to encounter God. And in his encounter, he's going to become very uncomfortable. The conversation with Moses is basically, I need you to do something that you don't want to do. He tells Moses, I need you to go back, and I need you to take my people and bring them home. Now, what does Moses say? You remember? Oh, you got the wrong guy. (laughs) You got the wrong guy. But his sandals are off his feet. He's approached this holy God... And God continues to urge him, you need to go and let my people go. You need to go and you need to lead them out of Egypt back into the land that I have given them. Later on, Moses, who writes this account in Exodus, writes it in chapter 20 and verses 1 through 3 that God has given him ten commands. And they're written down on tablets of stone. And on these stone tablets written down, it says... Very carefully, in the very beginning, not to have any other gods but Him. You see, worship, we're created to worship. You and I are created to want to be holy. We're created to want to be able to honor or to to give reverence and respect to something or someone. And we get the choice as to what that will be. And some people choose to worship themselves. They choose to think selfishly, what do I want, what am I going to receive, right? Some people choose to worship money, monetary things, they're never going to be happy until they have the bank account at a certain number. I knew a couple one time that uh, they were still working into their 70s and 80s, and I said, why? And he said, well, we want to retire as millionaires. And I said, I bet your kids love you, (laughs) you know? You're going to be a millionaire, retire at 80 years old, and then you're going to leave it behind, you know? Enjoy life while you can. Some people worship money. It's what they want. Some people worship work. They love to be able to be praised. They love to be able to be told how good they are and how wonderful they are. Now, you, you're never, they're never going to make it without me. Well, I'll tell you what, I've had those times before where I left a job and I thought they're never going to be able to survive without me, Right? I felt like I did so many things. And guess what? You go back a year later, they're doing just fine. They're doing just fine. We don't worship work. We're created to worship something. And God says, I am a jealous God, selfish God. He says, I want you to worship me and worship me alone. That message is communicated to Moses. Moses now takes these Ten Commandments and gives it to the people. He says, we serve a holy God and therefore We reserve worship to him alone. Sadly, he comes down off the mountain. Remember, he's got the Ten Commandments. And as he's coming down the mountain, he has Joshua just a stone's throw away from him. And Joshua, as he approaches, looks at Moses. You're never going to believe what's going on down there, you know. There is war in the camp. Something terrible has happened. This happens if you leave the kids alone too long in the house, right? You come home. What in the world have you done here? You know, what is this? I just left you for a few minutes. What happened? Some of you have pets. They can be bad at that too. We got one with separation anxiety. Come home, chewed the whole door off the doghouse. (laughs) What in the world's going on? You come down off the mountain and he says, what are you doing? I've got a stone tablet here that says, worship only God. And they go, well, we just took all our gold earrings and all of our necklaces and bracelets. And we just..." Aaron says, we just threw it into the fire and out jumped this calf right? That's the way he tells it. We're pretty sure it didn't happen like that. They had to bang and clang and fashion and turn and twist and make this giant calf. And they say, this is the God who brought us out. Man, what a horrible way to start off this next phase of worship. But it's important to remember that as we move on into the New Testament. You see, worship has to be done in the right way. Jesus says in John 4, 24, we worship God in spirit and in truth. That's going to be the thought that rings through this whole series. Doing things in spirit and in truth. Worship has to be done the right way. Back in the Old Testament, there are a few examples of individuals who didn't get it right. We think about Nadab and Abihu as an example. These are two sons of Aaron, the two eldest sons of Aaron. And they come to approach God in worship, and they do it in a way that it is vain worship. The text tells us that they offered strange fire. Strange fire means that they got it from the wrong source. They were told to take fire from one source and they got it from another. But if you keep reading there, if you keep reading in Leviticus, you'll see that one of the other problems they had was they were drunk. They'd been drinking. And they came to worship God intoxicated. So God literally sends down fire, consumes both of them right? Both of them die. A promise was given to Aaron though, early on. He said, you're going to be the high priest. God says, you're going to be the high priest and your sons and their sons and their sons are also going to be high priests. So the first two kids of Aaron are barbecued right there. What are you going to do? What's, what's going to happen? I thought that Aaron's sons were supposed to be the great leaders of this This uh, religious movement here, God is asking them to start to be able to worship him the way he wants to be worshipped. But what we read next is two other sons are there, Eliezer and Athamar. Those two brothers go and literally have to have a funeral for their brothers, and they come in and have to offer the sacrifice. The interesting thing about it is those two boys also offered incorrect worship to God. The text tells us that they were told to eat some of the meat when it was sacrificed. That was one of the privileges of the Jews, if you were a Levite, right? If you were a Levite, you got to eat part of the feast that's being prepared. And I'm telling you, if it's been on the barbecue for a while, it, it smells pretty good. But it wasn't the smell of the food that was in the nostrils of those two boys. It was the smell of their brothers who had been sacrificed, who had died at the hands of God. And so Aaron and Moses get a little frustrated with them. They begin to say, why did you do this? You didn't do what was right. Didn't you see what happened to your brothers? But God has mercy on those two boys because they went in the right spirit Spirit is essential. We have to do things in the right way, the right mindset. So many times in, in Corinthians as an example, we find that Paul saying uh, we worship in spirit, we, we sing in the spirit, we pray in the spirit. Everything we done, uh, we've done today and hopefully we will ever do in worship is a spiritual thing. I know the elements are important, and we'll get to that in a minute, but the way that we do it, the mindset behind It's essential. Notice also, worship must be done on the right day. Now, we're here today on the first day of the week, right? In Acts chapter 2, which Hayden read for us just a minute ago, after the church was established, they met on the first day of every week. We see that not just in Acts 2, but later on we see it in Acts 20. Now, while there is no example of any of the New Testament writers taking their shoes off, the principle certainly is true that we approach a holy God. And our mindset when we approach a holy God is, as James will say, we keep our hands clean. We come to God and we come in here with no reservation. We come in here with, with our only thought is to come and worship a holy God. Now I know it's easy to get distracted. Stuff happens. We all have cell phones probably. Something buzzes. You see an email, text message. Or maybe you get a, you get a text in the middle of a service and you're like, oh, i got to read this. i got to do that. Things come up, I understand. But when we come in here, we ought to say, I want to push away all the outside. I, don't, I, want to just, I just want an hour with me and my God. That's all I want. I want to be able to join together with my brothers and sisters and honor a holy God. So while they're not, there's not an example of shoes being removed as it was in the Old Testament sometimes, in this case, we're removing, unburdening ourselves of what is in the world And we come together, and we pray, we hope, that we can focus on one specific thing, and that is our God. Because out here in the world, there's distractions. And there are going to be things all the time happen to us every day that try to draw our mind away from God. That's why we need to get to the center. And we need to be able to praise God on the first day of the week. Worship's also be done with the right attitude. You know, I come in here with the right, proper attitude that I want to be here. I remember as a child being drugged to church, right? You know, my mom and dad had this crazy notion that every time the door was open, we were supposed to be there. Were your parents like that? I didn't, get a, I didn't get a voice in the matter, you know? They said, you're going to go. Gospel meeting, every night. Afternoon singing, you're there. The nursing home, we went. Whatever was going on with the church, we were there every time the doors were opened, my parents felt like if they were going to raise us and walking with the Lord, then we take every step with God. We're here this morning, hopefully not because we feel guilted into it. Hopefully it's not because, uh, you know, we, we feel like we're obligated to do it, but because we want to do it. Worship is my opportunity to come on the Lord's day and say, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you for giving me all that you have. And I don't deserve it. I, we're all sinners. We make mistakes. But God, thank you so much for letting me be a child of yours. Thank you for listening to my prayers. Thank you for letting me read your word. Thank you for letting me be a light in the community. Thank you so much for, for accepting me. That's what worship is. Moses, in taking off his shoes, gets himself into the right spirit of worship. Now I'm not saying we should take our shoes off this morning, although I did. But we have to unburden ourselves. And we have to get our mind focused on what we're here for. The main thing is about having an audience of one. It's about me spending time with my God. Now the great thing is, we get to do it together as a group. But we worry sometimes about these different elements. You know, am I, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? We come to God with the right attitude, the right frame of mind. We'll get the rest. We'll get there. What are those elements? Worship is done with the right kinds of elements. Here are those on the hub that I, I showed you. One is that we sing together. And how awesome. I mean, we, I'm telling you, I've been some places, and I love to sing. We, we have... Beautiful voices here blending together. We have great song leaders, and we sing together, and we worship in spirit and in truth. And there are times, in fact, we sang one this morning, and I know I've said this because Nathan does it once in a while. This song, it gets me every time because I think about my grandpa every time I sing that song, How Great Thou Art. And so we come together and we sing. We pour out our heart. Now, it's interesting in the Old Testament, they had a way of worshiping. And in the temple, they actually used harps and things like that. And so in this series, when we get to singing alone, we'll talk about why God has commanded us to sing now and not use any of those other elements. Why not? What's the purpose of that? Why is it that they had them in the Old Testament worship and they're not in New Testament worship? There's no example, not a single example, of them ever using an interest instrument in the New Testament church. Why is that? Because God ultimately wants your spirit. He wants you to focus on Him and not on anything else. We not only sing together, but we also pray together. Now, we pray at home. We pray on our own. We pray when we're in traffic, probably you know, especially for the other drivers. We pray for our children. We pray for our schools. We pray for our government. We pray for the church. Pray for our shepherds. We pray for so many different people. But one of the things God has instructed us to do, as was read there in Acts 2, is to pray together as an assembly, to allow all of us of a common mind to focus on one or two or three specific things. And then there's the reading of God's Word. And Paul mentions a couple times that he wants them to read the Bible publicly. But they also had men who would get up and preach it or teach it. Now, why is it? Why is it that God instructs the New Testament church to use men to lead in those particular ways? Why is it that God instructs men and men alone to lead in prayer and in preaching? Well, if you come back in this series, we're going to spend a whole lesson on that. And we give. We give our offering. We, we make it as a matter of convenience when we take the collection plate. We also pass the Lord's supper trays. But when we take that offering, we lay aside something that hopefully we have planned and prepared in our heart and to give in a cheerful way to God. And it's my way of saying, God, you've done so much for me. Here is what I'm going to give back to you. This is something, Lord, you prepared from the beginning of, of creation, from an eternity, in his foreknowledge, he prepared the church, he prepared his people. And if God was thinking about me thousands of years ago, then I need to set aside my thoughts on Sunday to think about him and him alone. What can I give to him? He's given so much to me. Why is it in the Old Testament that they were commanded to give a tithe? Why was it 10%? Why were they told to give on feast days? But in the New Testament church, they're just instructed to give with a cheerful heart. Well, if you come back through this series, we're going to spend a whole lesson on that as well. What I see, and as Billy and I were talking about, not that it is the most important element, but the primary reason why we gather together, that hub is communion, the Lord's Supper. You see... I can pray at home. I can sing at home in spirit and in truth. I can do that. I can read my Bible. I can actually hear sermons on the internet and podcasts of people preaching good gospel sermons. That's great. I can even give. In fact, on our website, you can give to the church every day if you want, through the website. And I would dare say I know that we got a lot of benevolent people here. There's probably stand, people here this morning that have given to other causes this week, have set aside certain things for certain funds. i got two friends. They're doing fundraisers for St. Jude every month. And there are many different works within the church. We've got all kinds of stuff. Gulf Coast Bible Camp and getting to know your Bible and all these great ministries and works that we support. You could do that anytime. But what drew them together on the first day of the week, was communion. Commanded to be done on the first day of every week. Why is that? Well, you come back to this series, we'll study it together. But we do know, in Acts chapter 2, as Hayden just read, they met together to break bread. The primary part of worship, the hub that pulls us together, is our communion. And I have to say, I love that in our congregation, we take a little time at the communion. We don't try to rush through it. There's always someone who presides, like Steve did this morning, to share a little thought from the Word of God as to why we're here and what we're doing it for. The hub of what holds us together is the Lord's Supper, because it allows us to focus on Jesus. I was at a church one time, and I had a, an older man say, so they said something unscriptural this morning at the table. I said, they did. I didn't catch it. He said, yes, they did. They said, we bless this communion, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He said, there ain't no resurrection. It's about, he believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but he didn't say that was what it was supposed to be. It's just about his death. That's what it's about. And I pointed him to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which I know he'd read, he just maybe missed it. But in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus instructs Paul about communion, and it says they were to take it until he comes again. I know sometimes things happen, churches close. Sometimes a community dries up, nobody left, little ghost town. There are buildings that are empty. But as long as there are faithful brethren in this community, there will be communion at this table every Sunday. And we will be together Worshiping in spirit and in truth, doing everything along that hub that we possibly can to focus our thoughts on Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection and his second coming. He's coming again. If you want to engage in worship to God, to be with him in worship, to be able to offer yourselves fully as a living sacrifice, to do it according to his word, you have to start with walking with God. You have to start by being a Christian before you can participate in Christian worship. Some weeks ago, we talked about the steps necessary to salvation. So our members know what I'm about to do, okay? They know what this is about. If my shoes don't fall off, you know, get this heel right here. All right. We start off by hearing the gospel. We hear the gospel message, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We hear the word of God, then we want to confess that we believe. We believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, as Peter said in in Matthew chapter 16. He believed Jesus was the son of God. And as he confesses that to men, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 32 and 33, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven. It's not just about confessing the name of Christ and believing in Christ and hearing the message of Christ. It's about repenting of sin in my life so that I might be like Christ. In Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, Jesus tells his disciples, you need to repent or you'll perish. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, men and brethren, what are we going to do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Which leads us to that last step here that we're supposed to be baptized into Christ Jesus. If we're not baptized into Christ Jesus, we're still lost in our sin. But if we are in Christ, oh brethren, if we are in Christ Jesus, and we have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we live and we now walk a new life in Christ. And He takes all our sin, all our mistakes, all of our sorrow, all of our suffering, any stumble and fumble and bumble you have ever made, and He washes it clean. It doesn't matter where you've been, who you've been with, what you've done. He cleanses you by his blood to walk a new life in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what, Nicodemus was interested in John chapter 3. How can we do this? How can I be in the kingdom? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And I'll tell you, if you want to be in the kingdom, and the Lord's church, you've got to be born again. If you haven't taken those steps, today's the day. Don't wait another day. Jesus is coming. And I'll tell you what, a lot of us are praying he comes soon because we don't like the world that we're living in. Jesus is coming. We got to get ready. If you're here this morning and you're struggling in sin, maybe you've been in those stumbles and bumbles. Maybe you've dug a pit and you've fallen into it. Well, let's take a hand and get out of it. Whatever you've done, repent, change. It doesn't matter. God still loves you and he wants to save you. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus.